If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We started a new series last week called The Church in Motion. Uh, And actually, The Church in Motion is going to be a three-part series. We're breaking up the book of Acts into three different pieces. And we're still in the first piece. The first piece is the shortest of the three. We're only looking at chapters 1 and 2. But it's The Church in Motion Unleashed. And we're looking at the book of Acts because we want to take a step back and we want to look at not just what Jesus did. Luke wrote the book of Luke and discussed what Jesus did. We're actually going to look at the book of Acts where Luke talks about what Jesus will continue to do through his church. If you were here last week, you heard me say it's really easy for us to take something that we've experienced many years ago and forget the beauty of it. And I think the example I gave of that was a wedding or a marriage. And if you've ever been to the early marriages or you've seen someone, early marriages, someone being married for the first time or, you know, when they're young and they're all excited about it, um, you go and you go, wow, I remember what that was like. And then sometimes you might come back into your own home and go, doesn't look like that anymore, you know. And why why is that, you know. And I'm hoping that's not the case for people, but it doesn't always because there's things that change the relationship. They're not always bad things. But the point of the matter is to go back and remember what things were intended to look like in the beginning and not just to, to mirror that or to replicate it, but to remember that so that we bring it forward. The church that we see in the book of Acts is the same church that exists today. So if we want a clear picture of what the church was birthed about and what the church was about, we need to go back to the book of Acts. So if you remember I said last week that Luke did write both books. Luke was about what Jesus did, and Acts was about what Jesus will continue to do through his followers. So we looked last week at the first attribute in the church in motion. And if we were looking at who the church in motion really is, if God's church is moving and fulfilling what he purposed us to do, last week we said that a church in motion is a church on mission. Remember me saying, on mission. We know the mission of God. We know we've been created for a mission and a purpose. That's what the church in motion is about. If we're not on mission, we're going nowhere. Someone once said, if you have no goals, you'll hit it every time. And I think that that's really true. What is our mission as the church of Jesus Christ? Last week, I said there were four things that help us stay on mission. I talked about knowing the resurrected Jesus, not knowing about Jesus, but actually knowing Jesus and his resurrected power that you have to submit. I have to submit to his kingship and recognize that he's in control, that I am not in control, that I have to rely on the power of his Holy Spirit. And then I need to live expecting Jesus Christ return. That when I live with an expectation that this world is only temporary and he could return at any moment, it will change the way that I live. I had some people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, hey, that whole text message thing you said at the end of the service really spoke to my heart that if God um, texted me tonight and said he was coming back tomorrow, what would I do differently with my life? And I would like to say personally that I would do nothing, but I, I wouldn't do anything different, but I'm, I know that that's not true. What would we do differently should God return tomorrow and we knew he was returning tomorrow? That's what the church on mission looked like in Acts in chapter 1. So today we're going to look at the next piece of the church in motion, and it's this, that the church in motion is the church empowered with the Holy Spirit. The church in motion is the church empowered with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, there are a lot of opinions about the Holy Spirit. There are denominations that have been created that have different opinions on who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works and 
what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in us and through us today versus what he did you know, a few thousand years ago. I want to try to give you as simple a picture as I can that we see in Acts chapter 2, talk about how it's relevant for us because everything we're looking at here every single week doesn't just talk to us about a church that existed almost 2,000 years ago. They all exist or all relevant for us today as well. So we're going to ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And I want to tell you the three things I'm going to talk about right out of the gate. So who is the Holy Spirit? Here's what I want you to know. He's the presence of God in us. Okay, He's the promise of God to us, and he is the power of God through us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He is the presence of God in us, the promise of God to us, and the power of God through us. And I'm going to break down each one of those this morning by looking at portions of Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and it's going to be brief. So there's going to be, yeah, but, yeah, but. You might have other questions. We're just not going to take a lot of time going through that this morning. And I'll explain a little bit later this morning why that's going to be the case. So the first part, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the presence of God in us. The presence of God in us. Okay. The Holy Spirit is not an it. You notice I said he is the presence of God in us. He's not an aberration. As a child, he was the Holy Ghost. Scared the pants off of me when I was a kid. Pray the Holy Ghost over you. Some of you um, traditional church people, I don't want to say old timers, but you know what I'm saying, like the Holy Ghost, when it was only the King James Version, the Holy Ghost, he is not an aberration. He is not a ghost in the sense that he haunts his followers. He is a person. Just think about that for a moment. He is a person. We're not talking about some ethereal presence. We're talking about a person. And if you think about him as a person, it will change the way you interact with him. Some people refer to him as the Holy Spirit. You see that in Matthew 28 when Jesus said, go into all the world and baptize the, uh, baptize, make disciples into all nations, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says over and over again. So there is the God, the Father, there is God, the Son, and there is God, the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the Trinity in the Christian church. And if you want me to explain that to you so that you fully understand it today, can't do that because there are people a whole lot brighter than me over the last 2,000 years that have tried to adequately explain the person of God where we have three individual persons of God, but there is one God. One God, three persons. I'm sharing that with you this morning because you see right out of the gate here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, that he is the presence of God in us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. So let's begin reading in verse 1, and I'm going to break it down so you can see what I'm talking about. In verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And we'll stop just for a second so we know the context. At this point, remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus was dead, crucified, resurrected. In Acts chapter 1, it says he appeared to over 500 people over the course of 40 days. One time when he was with them, he said, do not leave Jerusalem. Remember, your mission is to go into all the world. 
but do not leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power on high. That's what he says in Acts chapter 1. So they go into Jerusalem. It's during the time of Pentecost. It's a Jewish holiday during the time of Pentecost where believers, or I should say believers, Jewish believers from all over the world gathered into Jerusalem to worship God during this time. They're there in this upper room. Okay, and they're worshiping upper room. It means it's a second floor. It doesn't mean that, you know, that's just anything special. There was a special room. They were in a house basically upstairs and they were worshiping God and they were they were um, praying and they were seeking God. And this is what happens when that began to occur, when they were praying. It said in the day of Pentecost came, they were together. There was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? Because of Pentecost. They were there in Pentecost for that reason. When they heard this sound, remember, they were God-fearing Jews from other places of the world. They heard the sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. (laughs) I love that at the end. Ah, they're just drunk. What's going on here? Why is this so significant? What does this mean? This is the question I think that's been asked for the last 2,000 years. And I think we can break this down and talk about all the components on it, how God used the early church in Jerusalem to reach people from all different nations who were followers of of the Jewish truth, and they were declaring the praises of God in languages they never learned. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want to point out something that's very significant in here. When Jesus told them to go into the upper room and wait— he said they would be clothed with power on high. In John, in the Gospel of John, he said, it, I need to go and ascend to the Father so that the Father can send you the Counselor. And they knew they were waiting to expect the presence or the Spirit of God to empower them for whatever they needed to do. They knew that that's what their expectation was. What they didn't know is what he would look like. What they didn't know is how they knew they had the empowerment. Right? I mean, think about this through our lens. We have to have a measurable way of knowing when there is a change in our lives. There are things that we look for and we hope for in our lives. You know, I think of Thanksgiving is only like a month and a half away, a little over less than a month and a half and away. And these turkeys have these little tiny things in them. You know what I'm talking about? These little white things in them. And, and when, they, when they pop open, what does that usually mean? The turkey's done. You guys know. I mean, it means it's done. It means the turkey's done. There's this measurement. You could say, I can't believe we're talking about turkeys in church. So <laughs> sometimes they work well and they don't work well. So I would advise you to get a good thermometer because sometimes they don't work. But anyway, we're looking for a change that confirms what was said really happened. You with me? What were they looking for? God said, you're going to receive empowerment. Jesus is going to go. Spirit's going to come, 
and you are going to be equipped to reach the world. What are we looking for, God? What are we looking for? Because this passage sounds crazy. It sounds insane. What do they see? Well, we have to remember that the way that the people in the Jewish faith interpreted and saw the power and the presence of God's Spirit goes all the way back to the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. And part of that five books was the enslavement of Israel in Egypt and the exodus of Israel through the wilderness to bring them back to Israel. You with me? Okay. 40, 40 years they stayed in the wilderness. They saw God move from Genesis to Deuteronomy and his spirit move in many different ways. So what were some evidences that they saw the presence of God evident in their lives? Well, in Genesis, there was creation. It says the spirit of the Lord hovered across the waters. The wind of God. Spirit is pneuma. Pneuma is wind. The wind of God hovered across the waters. They would associate the presence of God with the wind and the power of the spoken word because the word itself breathed life into others. The wind of God, the spirit of God breathed life like a wind into other people. Or you can fast forward into Exodus when they were delivered from Israel, or I'm sorry, from Egypt after 400 years in captivity. They came right to the Red Sea. And some of you know this story, but when they came right to the Red Sea, there was the sea in front of them and there was the army behind them. And it said a wind came from God and separated the walls, the water, and pushed the, walls, the water up as walls as they were able to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground all night long. The walls of the wind kept the walls back. They associated the presence of God with wind. Those are just two simple examples because the Spirit of God, the breath of God associated, was associated with wind. Well, what are some of the other signs God used to associate his Spirit or his presence? Fire. In many occasions, you see, when Moses was wandering in Midian as a shepherd for 40 years, when God first spoke to him, where it's written here in the book of Exodus, in what way did God appear to Moses? In a burning bush. But the bush was not being consumed. The fire was there, but the bush was not being consumed. Moses, presence of God, fire. That's what we see. What else do we see in the midst of it? In the wilderness, when they went through the wilderness, God led them in the day by a pillar of cloud. And in the evening, there was what? A pillar of fire. Okay, fast forward to Elijah. Now we're outside of the first five books, but when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal and he stood before them and there were 450 plus prophets and they, 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 they prayed to their God Baal for hours and hours and Elijah mocked them and made fun of them and he finally said, now it's time for me to pray to the one true God. And he asked God to come and consume the sacrifice on the altar. The scriptures say in the book of Kings, fire from heaven came consumed the altar, consumed the sacrifice, and consumed all the water that was around it. You see, fire represented the presence of God. And lastly, in the Old Testament, you see the tongues represented the presence of God. When Moses was called by God to go into Egypt and speak on God's behalf to Pharaoh, Moses' response was, I can't because I'm a stutterer and I don't speak very well. And God's response to him was what? No, no, you go and my presence is going to go with you. What was he saying? When you go, my presence will enable you to speak. King Saul. There's an interesting story about King Saul that when he was walking with the prophets, you see this in the scriptures, the spirit of God came upon him and it says he prophesied like all of the other prophets. And those that saw this happen said, 
the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he started declaring the praises of God, surely God, or certainly Saul, is among the prophets. And those are just a few different examples this morning. I'm not going to go into many other examples, but I want to show you that when Israel was looking for evidences of the presence of God, it would not be unfamiliar for them to associate wind or associate fire, or associate declaring the praises of God boldly with the presence of God. So what did God do in his awesomeness? He gave them all three. He gave them all three, just so they knew that they knew that they knew. I don't know. But I know if I was one of those guys, I'd probably want to know three different things, three different times. I mean, every message people preach are supposed to be three-point sermons, I was told. So maybe this is how this happened, that it's like you need to hear the same thing three times. Jesus rose in three days, you know? I mean, there are three different ways he confirmed his presence. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, but here's what I know, that if I was sitting in the upper room and I was praying and I was waiting and I'm saying, God, we're waiting for your empowerment. We're waiting for your empowerment. We're praying, we're praising, we're worshiping you. There's a sound of rushing wind. Okay, we know wind. There are tongues of fire that depot, we know fire. We're all declaring the praises of God in languages we don't even know, but the people that are there in Jerusalem at that time do know those languages. How would you not be able to see that the presence of God was with you? That's why I'm sharing this with you this morning, because when we talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he is not a force. He is the presence of God. That's important for you and I to understand, that the early church was empowered by the presence of God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the presence of God with us. But he's really the presence of God in us. Because Jesus said that when the Spirit would come, he would fill us. And that's what's so cool about this. So think about this. Just hold that thought. He's the presence of God in us. The second thing I want to mention this morning is that he is the promise of God to us. The Spirit of God is the promise of God to us. Now, what is the promise that I'm referring to? Again, you've got to go back to the Old Testament because there was no New Testament at the time that this was written. There were only people living out the works of Jesus, and it didn't exist yet. So the promise that we saw through the prophets of the Old Testament was that God's Holy Spirit would not just one day come and empower people, and meet with people, and leave, but one day his spirit would dwell in the hearts of all who believed. Think about that. That was a promise that goes all the way back through the Old Testament, that it wasn't just, you know, you'll be equipped for different works, or you'll know I'm around when these things came, but all through the Old Testament, you saw examples of the Holy Spirit coming, his presence came on people, his presence dwelt around or among people, but he didn't live in people. And there was a specific reason when and why he would come. You can see this, again, all through the Old Testament. Whether it were the examples of when the tent and the temple were made in the Old Testament, God put his presence in the midst of the tent, in the midst of the temple. Remember, there's this place called the Holy of Holies that God's presence would dwell. He didn't dwell in people. He dwelt in the, in the region of people. He was like your next-door neighbor. And there was a healthy distance and separation, but he was still with his people in the Old Testament. Samson. Some of you know the story of Samson, the really big, strong guy who was a Nazarene, who made a covenant with God. And there were three different promises. There it is again, three different promises that he made as a Nazarene that he would not do. One of them was cutting his hair. His power was not in his hair. His power was in the promise and the covenant he made between him and God. And when the power of the Spirit of God came upon Samson, 
He did supernatural things. But he didn't live in Samson. He came and he left. He came and he left. Samson didn't just walk around all the time. You see it in scriptures when you look in the book of Judges. But when the Spirit of God came upon Samson, he was unstoppable. Like he was doing crazy stuff. He would be seriously intimidating today, doing what he could do. Taking doors of the entire city and ripping them off their stone hinges. I mean, that's impressive, right? I mean, that guy was having some serious protein shakes. (laughs) Forgive me, Lord, I'm not mocking you. Anyway, but the Spirit of God, here's my point. The Spirit of God came for a purpose, for a time, empowered them, met with them, and then left. That's what we see over and over and over again. Many people within Israel believed after the last of the Old Testament prophets that God no longer spoke directly to Israel. This is sad, but many people in the Old Testament or the Old Testament Israel, they believed that after the last of those prophets, God would no longer speak to them. And there's a whole 400-year window of time we see after the book of Malachi that was written where the Bible is silent. They call it the second temple period. They're silent. There's no real record in Scripture as to what happened during that time. People believed God no longer spoke to them. But here's where the promise really took root. Even though there was a silence during that time, many of the prophets still spoke of a promise that God said he was going to make. And the promise was that he would come, that he would inhabit the hearts of people, he would transform their hearts, and he would dwell with them forever. That was the promise that they knew of from hundreds of years before Pentecost ever happened. So he is, if you will, he is the presence of God with us, but he is also the promise of God to us. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah would refer to this day as the day of the Lord, he'd say, is coming. In Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel said the promise of God was that he would put a new heart in all who believe. I will put a new heart and a new spirit in you, he says in Ezekiel 36, 26. You can check it out later. That was the promise he gave. And in Joel 2, 28, he said to them, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That is a promise that God made hundreds and hundreds of years before these people were sitting in an upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the the, the experience that they had was that he didn't just visit them for that moment, but he inhabited their hearts and he began to live with them as they moved forward for the rest of their lives. Peter explained this to the crowd after the event that we just read about in Acts chapter 2. I just finished in verse 12. When it said they made fun of them and they said they had too much wine in verse 13. Let's pick it up in Acts 14 to see how we can, sh- how we can see that there really was the promise of God to us during this time. In verse 14, remember the question that everyone was asking was, what does this mean? Acts four, uh, verse 14, Acts 2. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And look what he quotes in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, look, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious 
day of the Lord. In verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Think about that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What is the qualifier? You know, I hear this in, I was talking to someone again recently about this, Christianity versus other religions, and there's so many ways to God, and, and people have a hard time understanding, or they just wrestle with, how could God allow this? And Christianity is so exclusive, and it's not. Christianity is the most inclusive faith that anyone could ever see, but there's a, there's a catch to it, that it's not about how you do to get in God's grace. It's not about what you can do to earn God's grace. It's about what Jesus already did for you. It's not about how good you can be so that God accepts you. It's about how the faith that you place in what Christ did so that God recognizes and accepts you. Everyone is invited to be a part of God's kingdom. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, he says, will be saved. That doesn't mean, oh God. That means a declaration of giving yourself to God. And that's salvation, is recognizing that we are not but nobody without God. That without the work of Christ on the cross, we cannot be saved. But the whole point of what I'm saying here is that Peter uses this very experience to explain to the people that are confused that what they are witnessing is the fulfillment of a promise that began hundreds of years before. This is what's happening, and we are in the last days. Yes, God is, or I should say the Holy Spirit is, the presence of God with us and the promise of God to us. The last thing I want to mention to you this morning is that he is the power of God through us. He's the power of God through us. What kind of power are we talking about? Acts 1.8, he said this in his promise. But you will receive, what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gives his followers an impossible task that they could never fulfill on their own. I mean, I just found this morning you can buy the first five Mission Impossible DVDs on sale on an online place for like, I think it was like $15 or something. Or no, it was $9.95. And I went $9.95 for like $300 million worth of production. But Mission Impossible, right? I mean, some of you know this from like the earlier Tom Cruise or the more recent Tom Cruise videos. That's a really old show that goes back when I was a little kid. They're given an impossible mission that if they choose to accept it, blah, 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 blah. God gives these people, these followers, an impossible mission, an impossible task that they could never fulfill on their own. And that's why he says, you better go to Jerusalem and you need to wait for my spirit. Because when you wait for my spirit and you receive my spirit, you will receive what? Power. When he what? Comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then you will be my witnesses in Judea. And then you will be my witnesses in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And remember, what he's saying there is you live in Jerusalem, which is in the center core of southern Israel. But you're also going to be my witnesses in Judea, which is the southern region of Israel. You're also going to be my witnesses in Samaria, which is the northern region of Israel, where there's a mixture of Jews and non-Jews. And guess what? You're also going to be my witnesses to the whole earth. I mean, think about that. Isn't that incredible? You'll be my witnesses here in your hometown. You'll be my witnesses here in your state. You'll be here and my witnesses in, the, in the, the country that you live in. And you'll be my witnesses across the globe. You are going to change the world with what I'm going to give you because you are going to be filled with power. The church in motion is the church empowered with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to know about the word power. And many of you have probably heard this before. This may be new to some of you. But the word power that he uses here is dunamis. 
okay? Dunamis, okay? And it means this, manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. Manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. It's not just any power that we're talking about. It refers specifically to the miraculous. Dunamis is the root word of our English words dynamite, dynamo, and dynamic. And dynamite is some pretty powerful stuff. This summer I went to the Hoover Dam for a visit with Pastor Nick. Some of you know Pastor Nick out in Cleveland. And uh, I love seeing a city boy out in the middle of nowhere. That is the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's hysterical. If you know him, it's just like a fish out of water. But he adjusted really quickly. Here's why I'm telling you this. Um, if you know anything about the history of the Hoover Dam, um, they, uh, before they built the actual dam themselves, this itself, they had to reroute the water of the Colorado River. And to do that, they had to um, bore through mountains and create four 4,000-foot-long tunnels. 4,000-foot-long tunnels that were 53 feet in diameter. And then they had to line those tunnels with 56 feet, I think. Then they had to line those tunnels with three feet of concrete all the way around so that when they were ready to reroute the river, there were four tunnels. And here's what's amazing. They said during that time, it was right in the middle of the the beginnings of the Great Depression, the work environment inside those tunnels was 147 degrees. 147 degrees. Could you imagine that? I sat there and I listened to this story and I thought, I have nothing to complain about about the life that I have whatsoever. Because the guys that did this made $4 a day. And there was no calling in sick. The guy who gave us the tour, he said there was no calling in sick. There were 3,500 people on site, 24-7, 365 days a year. And if you called in sick, you called in quit. Because there were thousands of people behind you that desperately needed a job to feed their families. 147 degrees. And why I'm telling you this, you know why it was so hot? Well, one, they were in the middle of the desert. But they needed dynamite to blast And they only could make about a foot to a foot and a half of progress a day as they did this. It took them two years to drill through or to blast through these tunnels. Men using dynamite. Dynamite destroys, incinerates concrete, incinerates stone, granite. This is the same thing that we're talking about here. And I'm sharing this with you because it's important. If I stood here this morning with a stick of dynamite and I lit it and threw it into the sanctuary... There ain't a person in this place that wouldn't be running through those doors. Right? You say, that sounds violent. Of course it's violent. Because dynamite is explosive, right? It hurts people. I mean, it destroys things. It's intended to demolish things. The Spirit of God dwelling in the hearts of all believers gives us an influence over reality and a supernatural power in a manner. Why? To demolish spiritual strongholds. You've got to hear what I'm saying here this morning. That is the power. You know, the Spirit of God, he's not a water bottle. He's just represented in my water bottle this morning. If this was filled with dynamite and I had the right components to make this explode, it will destroy everything within a specific distance around it. And if its main purpose was to destroy spiritual strongholds, this is a tool that the church needs to be able to wield. We need to learn how to use the power of God to recognize that the Spirit of God is not just given to us so that we can say we're saved. I think we've lost it many times. I mean, I'm putting myself in the same camp here, friends. The Spirit of God doesn't just inhabit me to say, you're now my child. And that's, that's 
wonderful because people walk away around this world with identity issues because the world tells them you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you don't have the right whatever, you're not tall enough, you're not skinny enough, you're not, something's always wrong with us and we're going to abuse you or manipulate you or use you for our own purposes and the spirit of God dwells in us and I think one of the most important things we can ever understand from an identity perspective is God saw enough value in you and in me to send his son so that the spirit of God could live in you and live in me. I mean, what does that say about how valuable we are to God? What does that say about how significant we are to God? Oh, the world says I'm not this. The world says I'm not that. The world's, I mean, laugh at this kind of stuff. I mean, some of you have heard these silly stories, but, you know, I went this summer during my sabbatical, I went back to, to Long Island, where I'm originally from, so talk at Long Island. And I drove through the town that I went to school in, and I went through the town, and I drove past my, my grandparents' house, and my old house that I grew up in, and went down this road and got close to the elementary school, and I turned this corner on the way up to the elementary school, just like this. I turned the corner, and I thought to myself, this is where I was when I was sitting on the bus in second grade when the kid told me I was a monkey because I had hairy arms. Some of you have heard that story before about the hairy arm thing. He wouldn't give me a nickel or a dime because I had hairy arms and my friend didn't. Don't laugh at me. Judge me. No, I'm just kidding. It is kind of funny. Words hurt. Don't they hurt? Our identities get corrupted by imperfect, sinful people in this world. Self-centered people. And I look at that and go, how beautiful of a message we need to be reminded of. That God sent his spirit because of Jesus to dwell in you. To dwell in me. To not just save us, but to transform us and to transform the world. That speaks incredible amounts of value to who I am in God's eyes. And it should speak incredible value to you as well. And I think we wrestle with that so much. Satan is so good at saying, okay, if you're saved. Because here's what I really believe. I believe scripture. Everyone's got a different perspective on this. But it's like, listen, when you make a decision to follow Christ and he inhabits your heart and the spirit of God lives in you, nothing the devil can do to get him out. He lives there. The, 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 the address was changed. The post office knows about it. Everybody knows, like, this is where God's spirit lives. So the devil looks at you and go, well, I can't touch that. But I can make your life miserable. I can't touch that, but I can make you an oppressed person. I can make you discouraged. I can make you fearful. I can make you fill in the blank. I can make you jealous and envious. I can make you all of these things I can do to you, but I can't touch you because salvation comes and belongs only from Christ. Though I can't change that part of you, I can make you completely useless for the kingdom of God if I can. And he wants us to believe that all we have in us is, sure, the spirit of God lives in us and we're saved. Bless God. When he comes, we'll be delivered. And what God wants us to know is, I gave you a supernatural power to destroy strongholds in this world. Do we think for a moment, people say, why don't we see demons in the Old Testament? Why do we only see them when Jesus showed up in the Gospels? Well, you know, I don't really know, but I have a hypothesis. Because when the presence of God stands before the demonic realm, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about what I'm saying this morning. Think about the authority that come. I love how James says, you believe in God? Good. The demons believe in God, and then he says what? And they shake. They shiver. They quake. Why? Because they know they can't change the end of the story. They know that all they can do is influence the narrative right now. 
And I'm telling you this because when we talk about the power of God, you see evidences all through the Old Testament of when the Spirit of God came, he scatters demonic oppression. He scatters the enemies. God's Spirit comes on people, and he does things like causes the enemy to eat themselves, figuratively speaking. They fight against themselves. He does things that we couldn't even imagine. Like, And he says to Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat goes, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. The enemy is going to manipulate us, but our eyes are on you. And then he says, put the praisers and the worshipers in the front of the army. And then you walk ahead and watch what I do. And it's the praising and the worship of God that God says, I'll fight this for you. And here's what we need to remember. If we feel like we're losing the spiritual battle in 2021, are we letting the spirit fight for us or are we doing it ourselves? Because here's what I believe in my heart. When the spirit of God is actually the one that's fighting the battle for us, when the Spirit of God is the one that's fighting the battle for us, we're not losing. It doesn't mean there aren't wars that we struggle with and we walk away wounded sometimes, but the Spirit of God always prevails. Now, I'm telling you this because sometimes... <laughs> I want to say this in a way that you don't, you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, if there's a way to figure out how to do something, I will normally try to figure out how to do it. Um, if I need to learn portions of a language, if I need to build something, if I need to repair something, if I need to have a conversation with someone, if I need to join a fantasy football league. Like, I've done these things. Like, that's miraculous stuff for me to be able to understand. Some of you are laughing because football is like a normal deal for you. Like, for me to learn stats and understand players and who's being traded where and why, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I'm like, because it's actually relational. I can figure out how to do all of these things. Here's the danger. If you're really good at trying to figure out how to do lots of things, The danger is that you can try to look at the spirit realm and try to figure out spiritual problems with physical tools. I'll just use my brain. I'll just use my ability. I'll just use my whatever. And what God wants us to hear in the midst of all that is there are some things you can never fight in the physical that you can only fight in the spiritual. And if you're learning how to fight spiritual tools with physical means, you are in for a whooping. We are going to be discouraged and we're going to be beat up and I'm so sad and I'm so beat up. And listen, I'm please hear my heart on this. Like the last 18 months in this country have been horrible, right? Forget the rest of the world. I mean, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but we know enough to know that this is obviously not a local thing. People have become inhuman. Really? People have become divisive. We've lost people that are close to us. We watch people that are close to us that have died. We've seen people that are part of our families disappear. We've seen churches get destroyed and annihilated, places where they've closed down. You know, and we're not immune to any of that. During the midst of 2020, it's like, wow, we're like, how in the world are we still so financially strong in the midst of all this? And we were able to give and give and all that kind of stuff. And then we took a tail, like a real tank this year. As a church, where we're like, wow, like we're finally seeing the results of what's happening. And financially, we're really going into you know, a, a downward trend towards the middle of this year. And we're looking at all those things. And I'm like, all these things we're juggling with and all the struggles that people are dealing with. Is it possible that the only solution to these things is not what we can just do in our own strength, but we need to rely on the dunamis power that comes from the Holy Spirit? that we need to spend more time plugging into the source who's going to give us strength, who's going to give us power, who's going to give us hope. Now, I'm not just talking about the power to be a witness, to go evangelize, okay? Because if you fast forward to Galatians, and I want to show you briefly in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, 
When the Spirit lives in us and the Spirit has permission to grow in us, what comes from the fruit is spirit. What comes from the Spirit is fruit. And what are the results of that fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit, look guys, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is forbearance. You know what that means? Forbearance? I'm going to choose not to be offended. Think about that. Forbearance. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. I love what he says. Against such things there is no law. Why? Because you don't need a police officer to patrol that. I'm going to write you up for being too kind. You're getting a ticket because you're too gentle. What is that about? That's what he's saying. There's no law against these things. Why? Because they come from the creator of all things. And when he dwells in us, we overflow and he's growing. There's love. There's joy. There's peace. There's forbearance. Ask yourself when you look at the world around you, really ask yourself when you look at yourself, are these fruits that God is moving and creating in yourself. Because if we want to know if we're being used by the Holy Spirit, if we want to know if the Spirit is growing in us, if we want to know... Now, things that aren't in here that need to be added to this, generosity, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, Paul didn't write that. Okay, but I'm adding that because I'm Paul too. Generosity. (laughs) Generosity. Am I wrong? Look it up in the Scriptures. Jesus was generous towards us. God was generous towards us. We are supposed to be what towards others? Generous, right? I'm going to get in trouble for that. (laughs) What else is missing? Courage. Courage to have the hard conversations. Courage to stand when the world tells us to sit. Courage to speak when the world tells us to shut up. But you notice it doesn't say you can have courage, but as long as you have courage, that cancels out love. That cancels out kindness. It cancels out joy. No, courage is missing in this as well. Boldness is not on that list as well. But can I tell you, you'll see it all through the book of Acts. There was generosity that went unprecedented. There was kindness. There was courage. There was boldness. And can I tell you, you think about how has the church demonstrated that over the last 18 months? Yeah, we can focus on all the negative things that we've experienced. And some of us have been victims of that. And some of us have been perpetrators of that. And some of us have been both. But when I was gone this summer, and my wife and I were gone, and we came up with a brand new direction this year to do this LEAP program, I thought that was funny. Like eight years of my life thinking about what we could do to do something in the community, and the year that we finally get it off the ground is the year that I disappear. And I'm like, what was that about? Um, And I was so thrilled. But can I tell you, in the midst of a world where they're saying, don't do this. Stay away from everybody. Stay separate. Make sure that you keep all the right spacing. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be socially responsible and consider everyone's health. I'm saying in the midst of all the guidelines that was put on us as a church and as a country, the church continued to bloom. The church continued to flourish. The church continued. And we as a church this summer had 50 kids in our building for one week when we did the LEAP program. Back in July, guys, 50 kids. We had volunteers. When people were losing their jobs this year or wondering where their income was going to come, $7,500 in sponsorships came through the door of this church just to help kids come that couldn't come in their own strength. Is that the Spirit of God moving amongst us? You bet it is. Absolutely. Well, the world says we shouldn't do this. There are organizations that are full out equipped to do what we did 10 times the amount of what we were able to do, and they didn't do a 
half of what we were able to do in that week because of guidelines and fear and all that kind of stuff. There are places that have closed their doors because all of the guidelines they have to follow and we're not sure about this. And God says, be the church and trust me in the process. And people responded to it. That's what it looks like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Or I think about what we did this summer. Some of you were here in August when Jason Rising came and he spoke about the church plant that's, that kicked off just, just over the last few weeks in um, Trap, Pennsylvania, Verge Church. We as a church, while our offerings and our givings have been declining over the course of this year, gave $20,000 towards the planting of Verge Church in Trap. Do you know why? Because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we need to get our eye, remember, on the mission of the church. Oh, God, but if, if the giving is dropping, no, no, no. Hearts that stay open are hearts and hands that stay open are also hands that God can continue to refill. And if we just close everything up in the midst of when things are going, God's going to say, I can't put anything in your hands because your hands are closed. Keep your hands open. If I ask you to give, give. If I ask you to serve, serve. If I ask you to whatever, do it. And if you keep the posture of your heart open, I will refill that because I am the one that is building my church. We saw that happen. Oh my goodness, this one blew my mind. I still can't think about it without getting emotional. Maybe like a month before I went on sabbatical, I got a call from from Jess O, who is one of our missionaries in, in India. and Pastor Paul, I got this. Well, let me back up. We had a meeting one night at the church. And the next day I got up in the morning and there was just a big burden on my heart to reach out to her. And I said, Jess, what's going on out there? I said, is there anything we can do to help? I just feel like I needed to reach out to you. What's happening over there? And she said, the timing of this is unbelievable. We just met a couple of days ago. And there's an opportunity we have to build a home for children that became orphans due to COVID. And she said, we have kids all through our area that have lost their families and their parents because of COVID, and they have no place to live. And there's a person connected with our, with our ministry that's going to donate the property, and we need to build a building on there. The first phase would be 20 kids. The second would be able to double it to 40 kids. And I said, well, what kind of numbers are you looking at? We need about $60,000 to get that off the ground. Do you think Bridge would be interested in helping us? I love her heart. Do you think? I was like, do you think I need oxygen to breathe? Of course we're going to help you. Why wouldn't you? You're the hands and feet of what God's doing on the other side of the world. And you know, her heart is so sensitive and so respectful and so kind to say, God, it's in your hands, whatever you want to do. I set that up and I said, remember, if you were here in the beginning, pray about what God wants us to do. Don't write your proverbial $100 check or make a donation today. For some reason, the Holy Spirit gives everyone $100 gifts. Don't do that. God might ask people to give $5. and might ask people to give $50,000. I don't know what he's asking you to do because it's relational between you and him. Pray about it over the next month. See what he does. I could not believe it when I came home after my sabbatical and Pastor Rob looked at me and said, do you know our church, including the money the board gave, donated $57,000 towards a $60,000 project? Do you know that? I guess you do. (laughs) I didn't know. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Maybe you do know that. You're like, well, yeah, this is old news. Of course, it wasn't. It was old news to you. It was new to me. I was like, are you kidding? I had people calling me that weren't part of our church that heard about it online. And they were saying, like, hey, do you know if there's still a need there? And I tell them, like, listen, there's got to still be a need. 60000 is a lot of money if you think. And, and the cool thing about that is you told me there were other people that were going to give towards this. So I, I think they hit that goal of the 60000 And now they have to wait for things to get in line so they can begin doing that. But here's why I'm sharing this with you. Because when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we will be clothed with power. And we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're listening to me this morning and you're saying, this all sounds great, Pastor Paul, but how do we do this? How do we do this? Because, yeah, I can read it on the page, but how does this happen? How do I manifest this in my life? First off, you can't manifest anything in your life. There is a movement in our country that I hear people keep talking to that just says, speak to the universe. Speak to the universe and it'll come. Speak to the universe. I'm like, you're not a god. Don't speak to the universe and think that you're going to make something happen with your own. Jesus even said, the son of God, I can only do what? What I see the father doing. That's what he said. If you want to know how this happens, you have to go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And Jesus said this. Remember his final words before he left. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he came, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but what? Wait for the gift of my father that he's promised. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? Who? The Holy Spirit. What is the key to experiencing this? We need to learn how to wait on God. Well, I've been waiting all my life, Pastor Paul. What's going on? Well, there's two different kinds of waiting. The New Testament church, the followers of Christ, they waited for 10 days in the upper room, praying. The definition of this word is to wait, of to wait is to stay in one place, basically, and anticipate or expect something. Expect something. This is not passive waiting. This is active waiting, and let me explain what I mean by this. There is the kind of waiting that you can be on the corner of a curb waiting for a bus. That's a way of waiting. Then there's the kind of waiting that a family has awaiting the birth of a child. Both of them are waiting. One of them is standing there doing nothing, and the other one, their life is being flipped upside down in anticipation. You know what I'm talking about? You can wait for a bus, or you can wait for a baby. And the response that you're going to have is a very different response. Other examples of that? You can wait. You, you can wait for the turkey to be done in the... See, there's a turkey again. You can wait for the turkey to be done in the oven, and you're just waiting. Or you could be an Olympic athlete waiting for the Olympic trials. If you're sitting around waiting for the turkey to come out of the oven... That type of waiting looks nothing like the athlete who's waiting for the Olympic trials. Do you know what I'm talking about? What's the difference? Preparation, self-discipline, changing and allowing your heart to be prepared for what God is going to do in you and through you. There is no passive waiting in God's kingdom. There's active waiting. And if we want to experience who God is and how he can use us, we need to remember that when the church was waiting... They were praying. They were seeking. They were making space in their heart and letting God change. They were listening and they were unified. That's what happens. And if you start those things, a commitment to prayer, a commitment to worship, a commitment to unity and to hearing God, overhearing your own preferences and your own priorities, God will do something in you and through you. I was thinking, what kind of example in preparation for this series could I use? And then God just dropped one in my pocket last Sunday evening during our Sunday night prayer and worship night. And if you were here Sunday evening, you were blessed. 
Because I can tell you, we spent an hour and 15 minutes in music, worshiping God in music, in silence and quiet, just at times, just letting our hearts just kind of hear God, in praying for each other, in coming to the front, and in giving people words of encouragement about what God has done in their lives. And I walked in here feeling okay. I walked out feeling incredibly encouraged and full. There was something about that environment that I just said, you know what, why? Why was that more significant? Because when you strip away all of the distractions, when you eliminate all of the things that take your focus away from letting God prepare your heart, God will work in your life. That's what he did. That's what he does. So the key to this is not, well, I'm not a pastor or a worship leader, or I'm not you know, a seminary graduate, or I'm not, God doesn't, no, 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 no. None of those things matter. The only thing that matters is how you wait before God. How I wait before God how I worship God, how my heart, if you will, if you use the analogy of a, of a farmer or someone who tills the soil, how I'm letting God prepare. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is just tilling the soil of our hearts. And if God wants to farm that soil of our hearts, but we're too busy in every other area of our life, giving our attention and our focus to other things, we can't expect the seeds to grow. But when we do the other thing, when we wait on God, when we make him a priority, that's why you know I've heard people say over the last year, Oh, pastors are so worried about people that don't go to church anymore because they just want their money. And I've heard people say that. I'm like, my goodness, I'm like, that is just horrible. Why would people say that? Because they think the Christian church is just about offerings and giving and things. No, no, no. The pastors that I talk to that are grieving about the fact that people are no longer gathering is because they're losing an opportunity to focus and to gather as a church in unity towards the common God the one God that saves us, delivers us, and heals us. Because in that connection, there is power. In that connection, there is transformation. You hear me? This is so important for us to understand. That's why waiting is so important. And that's why we started speaking earlier this morning as opposed to later. Our worship team is going to come up this morning at this point as we get ready to close. And I want to encourage you this morning to do a couple of things. I want you, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, I would love for you to use the next amount of time that we use in worship to just speak to God. I want you to have a conversation with God. There's no formula. We're not putting instructions on a screen. This isn't what you need to do. But come to God with your honest thoughts, with your honest concerns. Come to God who you are as you are. Let his Holy Spirit speak to you today. If you're a believer and a follower of Christ, he already lives in you. And he's been trying to talk to you. I'm convinced of that in my own lives. The time that I can't hear God speaking to me, it's not because he's not speaking, it's because I'm not listening. What is he trying to say to you this morning? What is he asking of you this morning? What does he want to breathe into you this morning that's life-giving? Some of you might have to shut your phones off right now because they just keep buzzing in your pocket. Some of you need to throw them in your purse. What is God trying to say to you today? I can tell you one thing for sure. If you're just waiting for it to be over so that you can leave, God's not going to say anything to you. Not because he isn't speaking, but because you don't listen. And I say the same thing applies to me. What is he speaking to us about this morning? How can we worship him? I can tell you last Sunday night, I didn't do as much singing as I did quietly reflecting and listening. 
and just letting the time and the moment speak to me and encourage me. And you know what? If that's where you are this morning, you don't need to stand. You don't need to sit. You don't need to do what anybody else is doing. Use these next few moments to connect with God and let him speak to you. So if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to come to the altar during this time, come to the altar. I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is about you and about him. If you want to go to the back of the room and walk around a little bit, you can do that too. Just be careful. See, there's no formula to this, my friends. God's not looking for us to follow a formula. He's looking for a heart that's fully devoted to him. And if you're looking for him this morning, he's already been looking for you. So Father, I come before you today and I just pray as our team begins to lead us in worship that we would pause today, that we would hear your voice and that we would hear you and experience you move in our lives. God, maybe you'll put a word on someone's heart to share to this church this morning. And if that's you this morning and God's calling you to speak a word of encouragement, I'll be right here in the front and you can come and you can get my attention. God, maybe he's calling someone here to seek forgiveness. Maybe he's calling someone to lay something down. Maybe he just wants one of us to just be in your presence. I don't know what it is, Lord, but we trust you and we give this time to you. So we wait on you in Jesus' name we pray.